Hello and welcome back to It Can't Just Be Me, the podcast where I aim to sort out your life issues with the help of our experts and some brilliant celebrity guests. Now, today we're talking all about relationships and work and the inevitable tension that can arise between partners when one half of a couple's career takes off. I've definitely been in situations before where I felt like my partner has totally faked their pleasure in certain successes I've had. But you know what? I'm a little bit ashamed to say that I've done the same thing too. Success should be shared when you love somebody, surely. But the reality is, insecurities tend to show up in totally unexpected ways. So let's get into it. This is It Can't Just Be Me. Hi, Anna. Hey Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hey Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. Hi Anna. It can't just be me who's really struggling with staying faithful. I definitely got menopause brain. I really want children and he doesn't. I have feelings of jealousy. It's just all around the middle. I feel like a Teletubby. And then I hated myself for feeling that way. If you've got any advice. I would really appreciate any advice. It can't just be me. It can't just be me, right? My guest today is the Simply gorgeous Scarlett Douglas. Scarlett has been presenting some of the UK's favourite property shows since 2015. No doubt you've seen her on A Place in the Sun and love it or list it. And of course, she was in last year's I'm a Celebrity alongside Matt Hancock and Chris Moyles. She's also currently single after coming out of a long-term relationship and is in the process of really getting to know herself again. Scarlett, I hear you. Scarlett Douglas, you gorgeous young thing, you. How are you? Thank you so much for coming into the studio today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, listen, I have a listener dilemma that I think is going to be right up your street. But before we get stuck into it, I ask every single guest that comes in to bring their own It Can't Just Be Me dilemma. So what have you got for us, please? It can't just be me that wants to save every last bit of food. Oh. Yeah. I am a huge foodie, Anna. And if I go out for dinner, and even if I've left just one bit of broccoli, one bit of chicken or fish, whatever it is, I always ask for a doggy bag to take it away. So, I mean, yeah. do you even have a dog, though? No. <laughs> oh, so this is just for you? It's a doggy bag for myself, absolutely, yeah. A personal doggy bag? Yes, please. And do, do you just save your own food and ask for a doggy bag, or do you actually go and collect <laughs> other people's food? Well... I don't go to random tables, obviously, but on my own table, friends, family, (laughs) if you're not going to eat that, just stick that in my little Tupperware and I'll take it home with me, thanks. Please actually tell me that you do have your own Tupperware when you go out. I actually do. (laughs) But wait, no, that's if I'm going to more family events. So I'm Jamaican, so family events always go with Tupperware because there's always food left over. That's really interesting to me because obviously being Jamaican, yeah. that you know, food is, is really central, isn't it, to your culture? And Absolutely. it's all about family and food and celebration. Yes. So genuinely, people rock up with their own Tupperware because it's going to be excess yeah. food. And even if you don't come with your own Tupperware, it's fine because they will have Tupperware there to give you to take home. Wow. And if I've been to a restaurant and they try and tell me they don't have a Tupperware to take it away in, I say, well, you'll definitely have foil. Every kitchen has foil. So just put it in the foil, wrap it up, and I'll take it like that. I love the fact you actually challenge them. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, well, you've got foil. I know so, you've got foil, so give me the food. Exactly. I did it once at the Shard. I took my mum when it first opened, and I asked them if they had a takeaway tub, and they said they didn't. I said, okay, but you have foil. 
They said, yeah, but I said, that's perfect. Then just put it in the foil, wrap it up and we'll go. We're good to go. And they did it. I want to go out with you and your family. Yes. I am loving this. I'm loving this. Well, listen, that is not the reason why we've got you in here today no. is to talk about foil versus Tupperware. Let's crack on with the main reason why we've got you into the studio because we've had a dilemma in from our community and mm. I'm really keen to get your take on it because I think it's something that you are going to be able to relate to. Oh. I also want to introduce and welcome our psychotherapist, Sam Pennells and Colo from the London Practice, who's going to get stuck into the dilemma as well and share some professional advice mm. so that it's not just basically you and me gossiping Scarlett. <laughs> Sam, thank you so much for coming in. I'm very excited to be here. We're very excited to have you. Are we ready, girls? Yes, Here's a yes. voice note from Flick. She's 31 and she's looking for some guidance on her relationship. Hi, Anna. I'm arguing a lot with my um, partner at the moment about how long I've been working recently. And I suppose I'm worried more generally about him not supporting my career. When we first got together, I hadn't really found my dream job. But in, in the last year or so, I've started to really find my stride and I'm pretty excited about the work that I'm doing. It feels like he maybe liked me more when I was less independent and ambitious he also kind of he puts my job down in front of our mutual friends and he recently messaged my sister to complain about me I'm earning more money than him now and I don't think he likes it I don't really know what to do please help Mm. I have so much to say on this. Do you? Yes. I'm, listen, I am loving this because my first reaction is, oh, yay, you know, you found a job you love, you know, enjoy it, girl. Mm -hmm. But I'm also hearing envy yes. from her boyfriend. So look, Scarlett, you've got a lot to say about this. Let's start with you first. Gut reaction, please. Okay. First of all, Flick, it sounds like you have an incredible job at the moment, which you are super happy about. It's incredible. You're making, by the sounds of it, a good amount of money. I've actually been in a situation like this before and it's easy for me to say now that I'm out of that situation but you have to do what's best for you and I think at 31 you're still so young so don't let one person that is supposed to be your better half make you feel as though you're lesser than them or that you should be lesser than them because they should only encourage you and build you up and support you and I don't think that's what your partner's doing. <gasps> So uh, you, you mentioned just a second ago that you've been in a similar situation. Yes. Are you comfortable to share any more Absolutely, about that? Absolutely, yes. So in my past relationship, I was with the, the guy for two years. I've been lucky enough to have had a very good career, especially in the TV world over the last few years. And when we got together, I was kind of at a point where it was progressing quite quickly. And because it was during COVID time, Unfortunately, his work had totally stopped, but I was still able to work. And I just remember how he was with me and how he'd treat me and the things that he would say and try and put me down. And, you know, why have you got to work all the time? It's not all about work. It's about family. It's about friends. It's about your partners, your loved ones. Now, I absolutely agree with all of that side of it. But what I did notice is that anytime I had something good come in work-wise, he was never happy about it. It got to a point, unfortunately, where I felt I had to just not tell him my good news anymore because he would always put me down about it. And he was never encouraging. He was never happy. He was never like, congratulations, babe. I'm so proud of you. It was always the complete opposite. So you started withholding then information from Absolutely, him. Absolutely, yeah. So what do you think was actually at the heart of the issue between you and your other half? I think, if I'm honest, looking back now, it was his own insecurity. I think it was the male ego and pride that was getting bashed, unfortunately. I was doing very well. I've invested my money correctly. I've got assets. If we are in a lockdown, I know I've got money coming in from different places and he didn't have anything. And he really struggled with that. 
Did you try and repair the relationship at all? Absolutely. And we spoke about it a lot. And I thought it was getting better. And then unfortunately it wasn't. So then that relationship ended. It was the best thing for it to have ended because I realised I wasn't the person that I am in that relationship. I was actually not even excited to go to work anymore. And I love what I do. I absolutely love speaking to people. I love getting to travel for my work and I didn't want to do it. And the minute I came out of that relationship, I really realised how much I was very suffocated and I felt very suffocated in that relationship. And it has an effect on you that you don't even realise until you're actually out of it. I think that's so true. I can see our psychotherapist, Sam, (laughs) nodding along vigorously throughout this whole thing. So actually, Sam, I I want to bring you into this conversation as well. And before we even focus on on Flick, I'm just intrigued by what you're saying, Scarlett. What's your reaction to, to what Scarlett's saying? I mean, it's something that I've heard time and time again, unfortunately. And it's the power dynamic of the man and the woman and who earns more money? What does that mean? If we think about it from an evolutionary perspective, the hunter-gatherer, to protect, to provide. Now, if we're not doing that now, you know, those drives still exist. So how do partners negotiate that? And what's the fallout? That's so interesting that you said, you know, the person that you are now, on some level, it made me think of, you know, you're stifled. Mm. So you had to censor yourself. Yeah. Because that's not healthy for anybody. Not at all. I'm a very outgoing person. I love going out for dinner, meeting friends, picnic in the park. And I just didn't do any of it. I was not really seeing my friends. I wasn't really speaking to my friends. Um, I was at home. He didn't really want me to go out anywhere or kind of do anything. And it's funny because I haven't really spoken about this to many people. But I am a, I'd like to think I'm a strong, independent woman, career driven. And I was in a situation where that had totally changed. And I was, instead of doing things for me and what was making me happy, I was doing things for him to keep the peace and to make mm. him happy. Going back to Flick, mm. in her love life, her boyfriend is getting upset with her. So I can understand that naturally she wants to pacify him. She wants to make it okay at home. So what what should she be doing? Because she, she clearly feels disempowered. Yeah, no, totally. She's taking a position where she's appeasing And that's not where we want to be. We don't want to appease someone. We don't want to kind of feed into their ego because it disempowers us or disempowers that person. So she is in a position that we we don't want to be in. It's unhealthy. That's interesting. But you're also saying that it disempowers the aggressor, as it were. How? Because then we're feeding a need that they need to feed themselves. So if he, for example, is feeling insecure about the fact that he's maybe not earning a lot of money and Flick's doing something to try to help, it just actually makes it worse. So on some level, we infantilize Mm. our partners and we start to parent our partners. Mm. And there is a place for that, but not in this type of scenario. So it always comes down to parenting, doesn't it? Yeah. That we're trying to parent our partner. I mean, Scarlett, you're you're saying yes and you're nodding. Mm. This sounds familiar to you. Yeah, that's exactly where I got to because he just wasn't doing anything and I felt like I was doing everything for him. You know, I, I can certainly identify with, with, with some of what you're saying. And Sam, you must, you must hear this all the time. Yeah. Why do strong, intelligent, career-driven women end up staying in relationships that can become, let's face it, toxic. Yes. Why, why do we stay? Because it taps into something else. So those insecurities, if a person in a relationship starts to display that, typically the other person will start to try to fix, to try to help. Mm. And then what happens is that's at the expense of the self. So then that starts to erode self-confidence, self-esteem, and then we keep doing that. And what happens 
we become, I don't want to say a shell of a person, but not you don't recognise yourself. It's so true that. Can you recognise that in yourself, Scarlett? Are you a fixer? A hundred percent. I am. Where does that come from? I think it's maybe something that I've seen my mum do. My mum is always the one that everybody goes to if they've got a problem. So I've always been that person. And I remember when I came out of my last relationship, I actually sought therapy and the lady told me to have a look at Enneagram types. And I'm an Enneagram type two, which is the helper. And I remember listening to this audio book and everything it was saying is, is so me. And I would help to the point where actually it was detrimental, not just to myself, but also to the other person that I was helping because then they're not helping themselves at all. I've not heard of the Enneagram approach or, or this sort of definition. What is it, Sam? Well, it's a way of categorising people, sort mm. of putting people in a box. What type are you? So are you the helper? Are you the fixer? Are you passive? Are you, you know, so that kind of thing, which can be really helpful if we don't recognise it in ourselves. And again, people say, oh, that's so me. Yeah. You know, that's me. And then we've got kind of a template to understand ourselves. And we don't have to stick to that label, but it can be helpful. That's interesting, isn't it? That labels can help us to categorise ourselves and understand ourselves yeah. better. Mm. I mean, you clearly have a great deal of insight into yourself and, and your life, Scarlett, because you had that template from your mother yes. and that family dynamic. Interestingly, I come from quite a fractured family. So my parents split when I was 10. I'm oh. the only girl in my family. And my mum has said to me that I, I was pleased that I just wanted everything mm. to be okay yeah. because it was so chaotic at home. So I think if there's somebody that's upset or anxious, I want to fix it as well. Mm. I just want it to be okay. And that can then end up making the situation worse. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, Sam, all relationships are about dynamics, aren't they? Yeah. Well, look, back to Flick. I actually found a quite a surprising statistic that I thought was, was very relevant to Flick's dilemma. A paper in the American Economic Journal found that heterosexual women who were promoted to CEO level in their companies were twice as likely to be divorced after three years than their male counterparts. No. That's amazing. Yeah. So why do we think that is, girls? Sam? I mean, it doesn't surprise me. The stereotypes, what's expected of women, there is a very different bar for men. So, I mean, think about the playground pickup if, if you've got kids. If you see a man there, it's like, wow, that's mm, what is them that? Up. Yeah. Wow, such a great dad. <laughs> and the mums stand there a chopped liver, you know. So it's the idea of what are the expectations and how are women perceived, what society says contextually, how, how we're seen in the world. And so I, I think it comes down to expectation. And if you're high level, wherever you are as a woman, it's difficult if you're trying to have a family, even if you're trying to have a relationship, Mm. because that power dynamic becomes a struggle and you have to keep revisiting that to check in. Let's talk a little bit more about that within couples. The people that that you see and the individuals that that you give therapy to, do they often talk about this power dynamic? Yeah. And it starts right at the beginning because it oscillates. So one person will have maybe slightly more, someone's chasing after the other person, maybe the man's chasing after them or the woman's chasing after the man. And then they get together and then there's kind of a, ah, where are we now? And then the power dynamic shifts. It's very rare that it's equal. And if we think about equality, on some levels, it doesn't exist in the way that we want it to. Someone might be working more, someone might be doing their house duties more, whatever that looks like. And if someone becomes resentful about that, that's where all the problems start because it's quite hard to work with resentment. Mm. You see, we've been focusing a lot on on heterosexual relationships. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm interested to know whether this power dynamic and the gender role difference is 
is the same within gay and lesbian relationships. Do you still see this playing out in your therapeutic practice? I do, but in other ways. Mm. Oh, go on. Yeah, in other ways. So it'll be interesting if you've got, let's say, two men and they'll talk about, you know, you always take my clothes. It sounds like a silly example, but they'll fit in the same clothes. They'll have this. The power dynamic is still there. There's a, a fight on some level for individuality. There's a fight for this is me and this is you and this is us. But it still plays out. And money still comes into it. Who's more successful still comes into it. So I think it's a human dynamic. I do think it's an ego dynamic. Definitely. Yeah. On the flip side of the coin, I'm conscious of trying to bring in some balance into this dilemma and this, this conversation. There are going to be listeners who are in flicks boyfriend's situation at the moment. And I have certainly been there. You know, I I must admit that there's been times in my life where I felt totally sidelined by my partner's career and that I've just slipped down the list of priorities Mm. for for, for my other half. And I'm sort of at the bottom of the pile. So it's a horrible situation. It's a horrible feeling to have. Sam, how do you think that somebody can best communicate their needs when it comes to having a partner who at that moment is more successful than they are? I think it's about the root. What what does it mean for them not to be able to earn money? What does it mean for them to feel insecure? But most people don't have the words to say that. Mm. So it would be the idea of having an open conversation. What's going on for you? How are you feeling? And that can be really hard. Even that, what does this bring up for you? Why are you reacting like that? And they'll probably say, I don't even realise that I'm reacting like that. What do you mean? But it's quite ambiguous, but it's just to explore the root cause. And once it's out there, it doesn't feel like this dirty thing that we're not allowed to talk about. Mm. Because you're right, the resentment builds and then no one talks about it. So then communication suffers and then the rupture becomes stronger. Yeah. And I always think as well for men, they've been told to hide their feelings Mm -hmm. and exactly what it is that they maybe want to talk about. And you have to create that safe space where you can have discussions, Mm -hmm. awkward, uncomfortable conversations where actually, you know what, I'm going to be vulnerable Mm -hmm. and this is how I feel. And you just have to hope and understand that your partner will take it in the correct way. And you can genuinely have a good, calm conversation so that you both know where each other sit. Yes. I can absolutely identify with with Flick's boyfriend, actually. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 52 now and I've been working in, in TV for nearly 30 years. So throughout my relationships, I've been with some people who've been way more successful at times than I've been. I mean, I can remember my ex-boyfriend, actually, who won a BAFTA. <laughs> and on the surface, I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. But at the same time thinking... <laughs> should be mine. How come I haven't got one? And I can certainly remember feeling that I was no longer good enough. I wasn't relevant. I wasn't as successful. And then feeling like I was slipping down Mm. my other half's priorities, that the relationship ended up being less important than the career. And I found that really difficult, Sam. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I, I must admit. And I don't know what that's about, really. Well, I suppose it's about feeling valued. And if someone's career is thriving, where does the relationship fit in that? How do we make time for that? And again, that's a conversation. Again, whether it's a date night, whether it's really being present with someone, if we feel like we're there with them and they understand us and they understand our position, we're sort of soothed. But if we feel disconnected, that makes us feel more insecure, which means the behaviours become amplified and it just keeps going on and on. Interesting. Okay, well, another thing I just want to pick up on with Flick 
is the fact that she mentions her partner spoke to her sister about their relationship behind Flick's back. Mm. Do you think that Flick might feel betrayed by the fact that actually he's gone straight to a family member? (gasps) Unpack that one, Scarlett. Absolutely. And I think she has every right to feel that way initially. But if he's explaining exactly why he's done that, maybe she understands okay, maybe over the last month, for example, year and a half, because her new job has been so stressful, she's been so focused on that, that maybe her partner didn't feel he could go and speak to her. So he had to go and speak to someone else. At least he was still offloading what it was that he was thinking, but maybe he was trying to protect her because he knew that she was in a certain situation and didn't want to bother her. So I'm I'm always trying to be conscious of both sides. I don't want to straight away say, how dare he go behind her back? That is betrayal. Because maybe it could have been that, but also what is it from his side? Maybe he was looking out for her and thinking she's got a lot on her plate at the moment I don't want to have to bother her with this so let me speak to her sister who's close to her and maybe the sister can tell me the best way of addressing it with her maybe it is myself or maybe it is the sister that goes to do it you see Sam we're getting into the issue of boundaries Mm. aren't we and I mean my producer and I were talking at length about this at at what point is this a broken boundary Mm. and at what point Actually, could this be a desperate partner saying, you know, as Scarlett says, I I need, she's not listening to me, I need to be able to talk, reach out to somebody else. Mm. As a professional, what's your feeling about this? I mean, this is a hard one because it varies. So there'll be some people that will say, you know what, I was happy they went to a family member. I was happy that it shows that they really care about me. They couldn't communicate, so they went to someone that is close to me. So I suppose it's about intentionality. Mm. What was behind it? Again, if it's to criticise or to moan, that's different. If they've gone to a family member and said, I need help, I can't connect with my partner, I can't connect with them, can you help me? Mm. That's different. So everyone's got a different boundary. I think what's important is that we're explicit with our partners as to what our boundary is. So they should know where they sit, where that line is, and it varies from person to person. Well, Scarlett, light flick... You are now a busy and booked, successful Mm -hmm. career woman. Now that you are single and happily single, Mm -hmm. do you worry about how you're going to juggle your very successful career with your next relationship? I do, but I worry more about finding the right guy that is not going to feel intimidated by me and what it is that I do as a strong, independent woman that's very career-driven. Because I will always make time for people that I need to make time for. Because I'm such a strong believer of you've got to be connected and be with that person to be able to make it work. Yes, have long distance relationships, but when you're together, make sure that that time counts and make that as often as possible, as often as is actually feasible. So you're looking for somebody who values you? Yes. Respects you? Yeah. And who's your teammate? Correct. Oh, and my cheerleader. Your cheerleader? Yes. That's what, yeah, we all want that, don't we? <laughs> Sam, do it you want so that? Have you got it? Yes. Love that. Okay, so listen, the bottom line is that we need to give Flick some concrete advice because she is struggling. Can we have something that she can do today to help her situation with her other half and perhaps something a little bit more long-term as well? So if we start with what she can do today, what would you advise, Scarlett? I would suggest to actually speak to your partner Flick, sit down with him, explain how you're feeling from your side and ask him to be as vulnerable as possible and as open and honest as possible about how he's feeling from his side. That would probably be my kind of offering for the the short term. Long term, 
you have to decide what is more important for you. You know, you're only 31. You've got this new job that you love and you should be able to enjoy it without being worried about what your partner thinks or being worried that he's not happy because you're actually having a great time and know that your career can last for so long. And unfortunately, relationships don't. So what is more important to you? I don't know how long you've been together for, but you really need to sit down and work out where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? If it's with this career that you're now starting that can take you to the moon, then go with it. If it's that you want to be in this relationship with your partner, understand that potentially there may be more bumpy roads along the way. Well, always, always. I mean, relationships are never easy and it's never happy ever after. But let me ask Sam, so in the short term, what Mm -hmm. do you think that Flick should be doing? I agree with Scarlett. I think it's an open conversation to begin with, but I think being really clear about this is not acceptable. Talking about my career in a derogatory way in front of people is unacceptable. Mm. So being very clear about boundaries and then asking what's going on for you? Why are you doing this? How is this for you? That would be my first sort of step one. Mm. Then I'd go, okay, we, we have that. What are my expectations? Then a couple of weeks, we revisit it. So we come back, we have another conversation and it's also agreed. We come back in a couple of weeks and we see how it goes. How are you feeling? How am I feeling? And be boundaried about it. So they don't have to talk about it every day. We have a conversation, we boundary it, we come back to it in two weeks. How are we feeling? What's going on? What I like about that is it's quite contractual. It's the sort of thing that you would have at work, isn't it? So there's something about treating your relationship almost like a work contract. You've got to put the work, the effort and the work in. It's not happy ever after. Relationships are hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And I work with couples to look at it, and again, it's very unsexy, as the idea of we come together, it is a business on some level. Mm. It's a business. So we want to stay together. We want to thrive. We want to be successful. So we have to treat it as such. So I would say keep it quite clinical, actually. In In some ways, therapy is about taking the emotion out. Oh, really? So it's not always about, let's explore the emotion. What's that like for you? It's also about, okay, let's take that out and be quite clinical because that serves a purpose and it's helpful. Interesting. Thank it you is very interesting. Much. Yeah, because it, 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 when you were saying that, it's making me think, I'm always so good at giving advice to friends in their relationships, but I can't take my own advice. Mm. And that's because when I'm in my own situation, I'm in the emotion of it. I'm not in the emotion of their relationship. Mm. So it's easy for me to say, no, leave him or do this or do that because I'm not, actually attached to it myself so that's really interesting Thanks, it is Sam. isn't it yeah. that emotions get in the way mm. well listen thank you so much I feel like I've learned so much from you both today and that we could just carry on talking for the entire afternoon it's been utterly fascinating Flick if you're listening I hope that that has been helpful for you and please do keep in touch let us know because we're really keen to know actually how you're going to get on with your relationship and of course with your career And Scarlett, I feel like this has been helpful for you as well, has it? It it really has been, actually. Just talking about it, which is something I don't really do and I haven't really done. And you've really helped as well, Sam. So thank you. It's been great. My pleasure. Well, listen, before we end the show, I'm going to put you on the spot, Scarlett, and share a couple of short dilemmas with you. I'm looking for quick fire advice, the type of stuff that you would say to your girlfriends. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, the first one is from Lottie. Hi, Anna. It can't just be me who doesn't know how much or even if to drink at work events. I've just started a new job and I find it really difficult to kind of navigate those blurred lines between being professional and also socialising. That after work drink at the pub is really kind of great way to get to know your colleagues. But I'm also really conscious that I don't want to end up drinking too much and making a fool of myself. What would you recommend? 
Oh, dear. (laughs) Okay, this is a good one. I will keep this short and sweet. So obviously being in the TV industry, you get invited to lots of events. And there were times when I was drinking way too much Prosecco or champagne at events because it's just free. And I really realized I had to rein back on that. So now I do it as though I'm driving home. So that's one or maybe two glasses of wine. That's it. It means I can cheers with everybody. It gets me a little bit merry, but I know that I'm still fully in control of everything that's going on. So that's in order for you to stay professional. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a really good... I'm just looking back on my own career thinking how battered I've got in so many <laughs> work, work <laughs> You see, my response was going to be, God, just hell yeah, just go and have the drink, have fun. You know, this is where people get to see the real you and, mm. you know, enjoy you. But actually, I think I prefer your advice, which is yeah. always stay professional because you don't want to wake up the following morning, do you, and go, oh no, no I exactly. snogged my boss. Exactly. And and let it be other people that do that. And then you're the one that remembers everything. Because then, yeah, oh, you've got you're all the strategic, <laughs> You are strategic. Thank you. Okay, here's the next one for you. This is from Sam. They're in their 30s and they're living in London. Hi, Anna. It can't just be me who's so bored of dating apps. I am single and I would really like to meet someone but I just can't be bothered to put in the time on Bumble or Tinder or Hinge or whatever people are using now. If you've got any advice, I'd love to hear it. Oh, Scarlett, how do people meet in the wild? Honestly, I think we need to get back to actually getting out and meeting people in person. Because also, you know, I know that I don't take very good pictures sometimes, but in real life, people say, actually, Scarlett, you're quite attractive. So I think (laughs) if we are going out and meeting people, people that maybe don't take a great photo on dating apps could look so much better in real life. And not only that, it's about the vibe for me. I, I don't care what you look like, but if you make me laugh and if you're friendly, if you've got a great vibe, I'm attracted to you. So we need to forget the dating apps, get out in real life. I love you for that. I could not agree more. I have never been on a dating app. I don't want to be on a dating app. So lucky. And when I, well, when I started dating again, I put it out there to my friends and said, listen, do you know what? I'm ready to meet somebody. Mm-hmm. Who do you know? that might be a good match. So I think that old-fashioned yeah. asking around friends and family and going, on, you know, I'm, I'm ready to meet somebody that you think yep. that would be good for me. Mm-hmm. I reckon that's the way forward, that's I have to way. say. When I first started dating my ex-boyfriend, Charles, and we met when we were in our early 20s, he asked me out seven times, right? He, was, <laughs> I mean, he, he, we laugh about this to this day because we're still really good friends. He asked me out again and again. And I remember looking at him, he was six foot four. Wow. And I remember looking at him thinking, there is no way, there is no way I'm going out with you, right? But he made me laugh so much Mm -hmm. and we stayed together for 18 years. Wow. So you're right, Scarlett. It's not about, you know, flicking past somebody's photo and going, oh, do I fancy him? Mm. It's about the vibe with the person. So you've got to meet them face to face. Absolutely. Personality is key. Well, I've got to tell you, Scarlett, this has been an eye-opening ride Mm. all round. Thank you so much for joining me. And huge thanks as well to Sam Pennelson-Colo from The London Practice for all of your expertise too. Thanks, girls. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks, Anna. Lovely listeners. I'll be back next time with another episode. But in the meantime, if you want to be part of the podcast, then please go to itcan'tjustbeme.co.uk and leave me a voice note with your dilemma. Or you can email itcan'tjustbeme at podimo.com. Whether it's about love, sex, ageing, family, motherhood, kinks, it doesn't matter. Nothing's off limits. And remember, whatever you're dealing with, it really isn't just you. From Podimo and Mags, this has been It Can't Just Be Me, hosted by me, Anna Richardson. 
The executive producers for Podomo are Jake Chadno and Matt White. And for Mags, it's Alice Homewood with support from Laura Williams. Don't forget to follow the show or for early access to episodes and to listen ad-free. Subscribe to Podomo UK on Apple Podcasts.